You're listening to Breaking the Bottle Legacy with Molly Watts, episode 47. Hi, I'm Molly. After a lifetime living under the influence of family alcohol abuse, spending more than 30 years worrying about alcohol and my own drinking, believing I had an unbreakable daily drinking habit, I changed my relationship with alcohol forever. If you want to change your drinking habits, then Breaking the Bottle Legacy is for you. My goal is to help you create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, past, present, and future. Each week, I'll focus on real science and using your own brain to change your relationship with alcohol. Nothing has gone wrong. You're not broken. You're not sick. It's not your genes. And creating peace is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to Breaking the Bottle Legacy with me, your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from an absolutely awful rainy cats and dogs, Oregon. Uh, For the past couple of days, it's just been, gosh, lots of it coming down and it's coming down this morning. But hey, it's Friday, so that's a good thing. And I am super excited about this podcast episode. I am talking with Bij Christy Carpen, and Bij is a certified transformational life coach. She is an alternative therapist. She specializes in harm reduction psychotherapy, somatic experiencing, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and clinical hypnosis. So an alternative therapist, and she is a sponsor for moderation management. She helps people who are drinking excessively to bring their drinking back into moderate levels. And she's been doing that for quite a while. And so Bij and I just had, and, and by the way, she shared with me at the very end of this podcast that she is for uh, before she did this, she is a professional oboe player. How cool is that? Lives in New York City, is a professional oboe player and was a professional oboe player for most of her life until she started to take on this work. And so love this conversation. And I think you will enjoy hearing from her, all sorts of resources on her website, which we talk about at the end. And she actually offers a free meditation every Tuesday, which is there available on her website as well, which I really encourage you to take advantage of a free meditation class. It's great. Here is my conversation with Bij Christy Carpen. Good morning, Bij. Thank you so much for joining me on Breaking the Bottle Legacy. I just appreciate you taking the time. I'm super excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Me too. Thanks, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, I just gave a brief introduction on who you are, kind of what you do, who you work with, your your um, commitment and help with moderation management, which thank you so much. Everybody appreciates that. But Give me a little bit of the background on how you first decided that, because you've been working pretty extensively with overdrinkers for quite a few years now, where did that call to you come from? How did you decide this is where you wanted to go? Well, you know, I had a funny experience myself where I was um, wanting to explore my own drinking and feeling like it was at a point where it was a little bit too more than I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there just didn't seem to be a lot of middle ground. Like I found myself like, um, oh gosh, if I go talk to somebody, they're going to tell me I'm an alcoholic and I need to abstain, you know? Right. And, um, 
and it, it that didn't feel right to me. Um, and so I actually <laughs> actually did speak to a therapist that I was seeing at the time, and um, she told me to go to AA. But that to me that felt like such a um, I felt so betrayed in a way because I felt like, you know, we're here talking about this divorce that I just went through and how I'm really having a hard time struggling with, with these emotions. And, um, and here's, you know, good for me. I found a way of helping myself through them, but then now the solutions become a little bit of the problem. And instead of kind of treating that along with everything else that was going on with me, it was like, well, go over there, get, let AA fix that. And then, and then we'll work right. with everything else. It didn't make sense to me. Right. Um, so it took another several years before I uh, kind of decided I woke up one day and I said, you know, I don't want to keep doing this. And I feel like I cannot possibly be the only person in the universe <laughs> who has, <laughs> you know, is like drinking more than they would like to, but is not, you know, whatever. Not identifying is. with the label of alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. So um, so I found moderation management. I found a harm reduction therapist. I found Buddhist meditation and pretty quickly became a moderate drinker. I love that. First of all, I love the fact that, you know, uh, you didn't want to have to take on the label of alcoholic just to be able to address your, what you felt was a habit that was probably just not serving you or something that, you know, you weren't, you were turning to alcohol, using alcohol in a way that then ultimately, as you said, kind of became more of a problem than a solution for you. I think that you're spot on. Obviously, we talk a lot about around here that there's, you know, there's a, a black and white mentality. And you mm -hmm. and I were just talking about this a little bit before we started this whole idea of, of over drinking, right, or problematic drinking. Yeah. There's such a narrative in in society on what that looks like. And what are you, give, tell me your ideas around that. What is your, you know, I know you said before when I mentioned the diseased and broken model to you, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of just it hurt your heart. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about, I mean. Yeah. Well, I think um, people that use any kind of substance or eating disordered is also eating yeah, disordered right. people. Oh, sure. It's very anything, similar. Right, yeah. Anything or over tweeting, over right. shopping, you know, all of these things there something to make the nervous system feel safe there's some there's some way of how can i feel okay i'm not handling my emotions or the situations in my life in a skillful enough way i need something else to make me feel okay and and so people take on these um addictions quote them, unquote or habits buffering Buffering, buffering yeah. habit, you know, or buffering, mm -hmm. whatever. And, and you're, you're right. It's not, I mean, smoking at, you know, food, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. shopping. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that you're some thing <laughs> or you right. have some disease or you're some label. It just means that you're human. <laughs> right. You're a human being who's, who has pain and suffering like every other human being. It's just how you've taught yourself to cope with with those that pain and suffering and then it becomes habitual right then it just the habits get dug deeper and deeper so you mentioned kind of the 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 nervous system so mm -hmm. i somatic experience this is something that i know you've you're well trained in and you've done a lot of research in and i'm not as familiar with so explain to me what that means the somatic experience for us 
Sure. Um, the somatic experiences really has to do with um, how emotions are felt in the body. So I did a three-year intensive trauma training called Somatic Experiencing through um, Trauma Healing Network. Um, and basically, in a nutshell, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's... Yeah, boil down three it, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, helping people have access to or understand and see clearly that they're always having a dual experience. They're... Um, they're having the experience of what's happening out here in the world, you know, my boss is yelling at me or something, whatever's coming up. Um, but they're also, their body is responding. Their nervous system is also responding. Um, so it's a way of really tuning in to those physical sensations. We might call it the emotional body rather than the outside physical body. The physical body might, might tense up too. You know, there might be things that happen when, when you feel anger or um, stress. There might be a, a tension in right. the, the, the hands or the shoulders, but there also might be a more subtle experience going on of like, oh, when you kind of uh, deepen into that experience, you might notice, oh, um, my heart is feeling a little fluttery or my belly is feeling kind of churny, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So with somatic experiencing, um, if we were to do an entire entire session on SE, which I rarely do, I usually just take pieces of it, um, maybe 10 minutes or so. But what you would be doing is, is really following your somatic experience. You would literally be tracking it and we might not even talk very much at all. Mm -hmm. We might start with a story that, that brings up the activation and then I might say, let's pause here for a moment and just see how your nervous system's responding, how your body's responding to this right now. And um, just let them really track. And it's amazing because it feels sometimes, when we feel these sensations, it feels like, oh my God, this is solid. It's never moving. It is, anger feels like this, you know, tight. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you kind of relax into it, you'll notice that our, it is constantly changing. It's constantly moving. And so you find ways to help the client the idea is not to just do it in the session, but for them in life, when these when they feel these these sensations, oh, that's uh, that's my body telling me it's uncomfortable with something. Let's see if we can find a way to discharge to release these sensations. And it might be simply by imagining it moving through the body, or just following it move through the body, or it might be <clears throat> something more concrete, like getting up and doing a few, um, you know, lion's breaths with with movement or something like that. It might be. Uh, something in, to get the trauma out of the body because um, the body holds on to and the nervous system holds on to all of our past traumas and experiences. And by traumas, I mean like the the wider definition. It could right. be it could be like capital right. T trauma, like actual you know uh, events, um, <clears throat> single events, or it could just be like a pervasive trauma that uh, of growing up in a family where you just somehow didn't feel you felt kind of like an orphan in your own family or um, you didn't feel um, connected with your caregivers your parents or whomever was was uh, giving you care things like that can really stay in the in the body and the nervous system without us knowing it uh, almost like a a fish not knowing it's in water right it's just like that's just how it is um, but then when you bring attention to it you see that oh okay and you don't have to go back to Oh, when I was three, this happened. Right. You know, you might, but it does. It's not necessary. What what you're working more with is how how your body's responding now, 
-hmm. and how can you help move that that through so that you're able to clear things up in your mind and just move ahead living you know with a more skillful life a more easeful life so this is real. I love all this. It's really, I mean, it parallels so much of what I talk about and it, I don't use the, the same terminology in terms of the somatic experience. That's very, <laughs> I don't, I've never, like I said, I don't ever, I've never heard that, but used it described that way before, but it's similar to what I talk about in terms of being able to articulate how a feeling happens in your body and really just the, the noticing the sensations and noticing what happens in the body when you are experiencing an emotion. Because I think that uh, something that you're touching on and something that I talk about in terms of just managing your mind is a lot of us are really scared of our emotions, right? I mean, some mm. of those big emotions, like they, they sound really bad. By the way, everyone, if you can't, Beige is in New York City. I can hear it there in the background. So you're going to hear it. <laughs> I don't, I don't even hear it. <laughs> I, I know, of course. I, I love it. I can hear New York, which is awesome. Um, anyhow, we're afraid of, like, we can't handle these big emotions. But when you become more skilled at recognizing what's going on in the body with just, you know, with let's say anger, you know, anger is one that scares mm -hmm. people. We don't want to experience anger too much. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, what I've noticed is when people become more skillful at recognizing and articulating and understanding what's going on in their body, even just that, that knowledge, being able to see it and feel, you know, describe mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. often helps it dissipate. You know, it's not quite as scary if you can just say, okay, this is what happens. I can handle this, <laughs> you know, yeah, I can do yeah, this. Yeah. Which yeah. do you agree with that? That sometimes Absolutely. That, yeah. That yeah. being able to articulate and see things like that, it helps us become better, better mind managers or better able at processing those emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the RAIN practice. Do you, are you familiar with that? R-A-I-N? No tell me. <laughs> okay. That's a mindfulness practice. It's, okay. it's kind of what you're saying It's it's R stands for recognize, recognize the emotions here. Oh, hello. I've seen you before. Hi, anger. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes when I teach this, I teach it with puppets, like I have this lion forever, right? lion puppet, but um, you recognize it's here. Uh -huh. And then the A is for allow and accept. It's okay. It's part of being human. We all feel right. anger from time to time. Sometimes when it, it just feels so solid, it feels like this is me right now. And instead of saying, you know, I am angry, you might just say, oh, anger's here. Mm -hmm. So it's like a way of it's, oh, it's visiting. It's mm -hmm. going to move on eventually. I know it's, it hasn't stayed the last time it, you know, it goes, comes and goes. Yeah. So, uh, and then the I is for investigation, exactly what you're talking about. So you investigate, um, where in your body, but also the stories that the mind might be creating around right. the anger, you know, like, um, and this involves also the, uh, the second arrow, the Buddha would talk about, which is um, that the, the one we're pointing at it ourselves, right? We might be criticized, someone else might criticize us, it makes us angry, but that we realize that, oh, it's actually because I'm criticizing myself too. Right. Like there's a part of me that's going, getting on board and going, yeah. And, and yeah. your second grade teacher said that too. Right. And you're, right. you're right. nobody likes you, you know, and all this stuff that goes on. So you start to like kind of recognize all, some of that stuff too, that's happening. And then you kind of unpeel, you know, peel it back a little bit and say, oh, okay, what's happening right now is this person said this to me, I'm having this response. And then the N is for nurture, where you can actually maybe go to that part of the body that's feeling activated 
And there's, there's nothing like self-touch. It's crazy that um, in the trauma training, the last module was supposed to be um, a touch module, but we couldn't do it in person. So they switched it around um, to self-touch, which was so much more helpful for people because this sure. is something they can do on their own. Right. And plus we're seeing everybody virtually anyway now. So, um, so, and this is just an incredible, powerful thing. Even one, a hand on the heart for 60 seconds, it brings up, they say, enough oxytocin to stave off a panic attack. Wow. So just finding, or maybe it's in your belly where you're feeling the anger. Maybe put a hand on the heart, hand on the belly, just breathe gently into those places. And notice anywhere else that's tensing in your body. It might be your shoulders. Maybe you could tighten them up a little more and then, ah, let them go, relax. Right. And it's amazing how you can shift um, your experience of your nervous system just by doing a few little things like that. I love that. That just probably helped to rain everybody. I'll make sure to link <laughs> all that in the show notes, but you definitely, that probably just helped people right there. Um, Tara, Tara Brock does a wonderful uh, meditation on it. So I highly recommend Tara that, Brock rain. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, so we were talking a little bit before we started about a training that you had done. And I really want to have this conversation because I thought it was extremely interesting about uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. You are trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction, which I think is, you know, we're, we're sort of hitting on that too with some somatic experience and it's all intertwined. But you told me that it was interesting because this particular training, you have worked pretty ex extensively with people who uh, self-described over drinkers, people that are drinking uh, more than they want to for years. And um, you were told that it's basically not appropriate or that people that uh, can't do MSBR, my, did I do that? MBSR. Right? MBSR. I'm like, wait a minute, did I do that it's right? Okay. I did it again. MBSR. Um, that they can't do it unless they're a year out of recovery. Like, uh, like because right. the, with alcohol, because people are, because practitioners are concerned about the whole addiction side of it. And yeah. I thought that was really interesting, not because I mean, of course, we have to be always mindful of people that are truly physically dependent on alcohol. And I say that all the time, this podcast is not is not directed at people who are physically dependent. And if you are physically dependent, there are medical precautions that you might need to take before you address the psychological dependence. But I, I will say it many times there, you know, there have been studies done and most heavy drinkers, most people who could be, be considered heavy drinkers and probably people that are drinking more than they should be are not nine out of 10 of them are not physically dependent. They probably have a psychological dependence. I know I sure did. And that is where I think mindfulness based stress reduction would be so important for so those people. Helpful. Yes, right? it would be. In theory, yes. Um, you know, it's it's funny because, um, not funny, but when I was studying harm reduction psychotherapy, which I have a certification in, um, our teacher, Andrew Tatarski, used to say, people generally aren't addicted to the substance. They're addicted to what they're getting from it. Yeah. So if you really understand, what am I getting from this? And, you know, really deeply explore that issue. It's so important. And... Um, so the, getting back to the MBSR, um, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction, it's an eight-week program, two and a half hours. It's a great program. I highly recommend it. Um, unfortunately, they're a little short-sighted, or maybe they're maybe they're going to come around now. But 
they would have, um, there was something in there you had to fill out that said, you know, how many drinks you have per week or something. If it was over a certain amount, then you were not invited to participate in the program. This was something I didn't find out until I was partway through my training to become an MBSR teacher because I thought, great, I'm going to offer MBSR to problem drinkers because what a great thing. Right. And then I was told, no, actually, um, they're not allowed to take MBSR, which I was, you know, it's still just, I, I'm kind of speechless. Well, but it's, I think it's whatever, you know, at this point, it's kind of like for you, you're like, well, great, I won't teach them the whole class, but I'm going to certainly incorporate elements into your own exactly. program, which is just yeah. what, you know, I mean, whether or not they get the the titled doesn't really yeah. ultimately no, matter. doesn't matter at all. Right. So I took a lot of those elements and used them in my conscious drinking workshops. Um, but but the point is that um, I think people are afraid of, you know, addiction because of this black and white thinking that's been perpetrated for perpetuated, sorry, for so long. It is kind of perpetrated, but um, that people don't understand. It's a spectrum that if people are drinking problematically, it's because of something. It's a response to something. And if they can learn mindfulness-based stress reduction, if they can learn ways of regulating their emotions and their nervous systems, then they're less likely to drink. I think they're worried that, oh, MBSR might trigger something. They might, they might have to go and have a drink after class. Yes, yeah, so what? You know, lots of things are going to trigger them emotionally. They're going to, but they might learn a little bit more about what it is that's triggering them. What, what, what feels intolerable for them? Well, and, and, you know, I know you, you know, of the work of Dr. Adi Jaffe, and I spoke with him mm -hmm. on the podcast, his whole book, The Abstinence Myth, and this whole idea that our focus with, even with recovery. So even if you take it back to people that are physically dependent, the focus of most recovery programs are simply that don't ever, don't ever drink again. You know, yep. that's, the, I mean, it's like, we're not addressing the core, those core issues. We just simply say, okay, if you never drink again, you're, you're cured. So yep. that's, you know what I mean? That's the focus yep. and the same. So we, then we just take it, scale it back, right. To people that are not physically dependent. Alcohol is a progressive, you know, alcohol use disorder is progressive. So if you are problematically drinking and you're still in the mild to moderate disorder, eventually you could, if you continue down that pattern with enough time and repetition, develop severe alcohol use disorder, develop mm -hmm. a physical dependency. It, so why not address it way back in the beginning, which is what you're talking about. It's like, exactly. that's, and that's the whole thing. That's where all of the work that I do too. I, I really, even for myself who I would have never even identified as a problem drinker, I would have never identified the only reason for myself personally, I think that in terms of the physical outcomes, right? I was still very successful. I had a successful career. I had a successful family. I was, people would have never looked at me and thought, oh, she struggles with her, with alcohol use. But because of my, of living with my alcoholic mother, I, and for 40 years of my life, I had a, an overwhelming amount of anxiety with the amount that I was drinking all the time carrying it with me, worrying about it, worrying about whether or not I was going to cross the, the threshold and become physically dependent, worrying about just, you know, my alcohol use because of a, a very, of, of my upbringing. But it was interesting that 
I never looked at it and thought, I, I literally thought, well, I, 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 like, I can't do anything about it. Like I can't change my drinking habits. I don't, I can't change my drinking habits. I'm never going to be able to get rid of the anxiety because of my alcoholic upbringing. And so I just accepted it as, okay, well, that's just the way that my life is going to be. I never really understood the connection of where that disconnect was that I was creating these feelings in and of my, in, in myself by what I was thinking about all the time. And yeah. once I figured all that out, then, <laughs> then it was like the same. I was like, oh, okay. You know what? I can actually handle these emotions. I can actually do this yeah. myself. And yeah. I don't need to keep drinking. And by the way, if I stop, if I can change this habit, I'm going to have a lot less anxiety. Which yeah, <laughs> right. And so many people don't seek help because they don't you know, you know, traditionally, there's only been one way or the other. There's only been either you join a program and quit or you keep drinking, right. you know, up until recently, there hasn't been this idea of harm reduction and uh, moderation and um, ways, tools that you can learn to actually drink less um, in every kind of situation. And a lot of that does involve emotional regulation. Um, some of it involves, I like to say it's the external tools and the internal tools, right? The external yeah. tools would be like, pace yourself with the slowest drinker, count, you know, uh, track your drinking, um, plan ahead. I, I'm plan ahead. Advocate. All yes. of those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, there's always things you can't plan for. There's always some emotional thing that's going to come up that you can't plan for. And the other thing you have to plan for, in my opinion, is the appearance of the inner negotiator. Yeah. Which is the part of you that shows up <laughs> after you've made your perfectly well thought out plan that you're only going to drink two or you're not going to drink at all or whatever it is. And the inner negotiator comes up and says, hey, I got this really, really good idea. Let's drink more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have I to plan that, for I call that. that my, yeah, I call that my toddler brain. That's my toddler, my yeah. impulsive, my little, my, you know, my person who just, my little toddler who just wants it now, who needs yeah. it, who wants that instant gratification, who has no concern for long-term goals or higher level thinking they just she just wants it now yeah yeah and I hope that you're nice to that little toddler I hope you <laughs> give her a little hug say I see what you're trying to do for me you're just kind of um, misguided that's all yeah She's trying to help out <laughs> that's, that's you are sweet to your I am uh yeah I guess I tell her uh I don't I think I'm more like um the the parent the stern right? the stern like, parent <laughs> well the parent that's like yeah no sorry that's not you know that's not where we're headed here this is my you know I know what my my logical adult brain wants my the the, the goals that I have in place and mm -hmm. I mean I also think that and I talk about that a lot here is is being prepared ahead of time for um for when the toddler wins that war, you know, because yeah. as a parent, I certainly, we can, at least for myself as a parent, I, I know, <laughs> you know, I've given in to a toddler, right? So the adult yeah. doesn't always win in this scenario, even when. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring in the toddler because um, you, one of the things I think you asked me about previously was about the use of hypnosis. Yeah, in, uh, yeah, for I want problem to drinking. definitely. And what I've, what I've found is um, that uh, when I work, 
with someone with using hypnosis and, and, and I use the term loosely because really hypnosis is about be, being very present. It's really about understanding, going deeper into one's experience and being um, intensely present, not absent. It's not like I'm doing something to put you in a trance or something. I'm really just providing a space for my clients to relax deeply into themselves and, and to access deeper wisdom. Um, and, and, uh, Sometimes what will happen is we'll go back and they can talk to me while this is happening. They can tell me about what they're experiencing. And so I might say to somebody, say, say somebody has um, their issues binge drinking. You know, they can mm -hmm. drink a yeah. glass, glass of wine with dinner, no problem. But there's that occasional time out with friends where they just crazy, you know. And um, so we might regress back to, you know, what does this feel? Well, first of all, what's the somatic experience of this? What, what does this feel like in your body to sort of, ah, you know, keep this going kind of thing. And then they might regress back to like college days or something, you know, oh, that makes sense. Okay, but let me, maybe there's something else. Let's see if we can go a little bit younger. And uh, then, then suddenly they're five years old at McDonald's, right? <laughs> With having the time of their lives um, playing, I don't have kids, so I don't know what they have to do at McDonald's, but I understand these places have <laughs> things place to do. Yeah. Yeah. So they're playing with all the stuff and just having like a crazy, happy, crazy, excited, never want it to end, never want it to end. And, um, and then I'll say, well, then, then what happens? And there's like a, uh, their face changes, their eyes start to well up breathing shallows. And they'll say, um, my mom says we have to go home. And I'll say, what is, what is home? What does that mean? And so home for this person might be um, mom stares out the window all day depressed, doesn't pay any attention mm -hmm. to me, doesn't connect with me. So I'm lonely. So there's a point at which you can sort of like, what does that child need, you know, to go in and kind of heal that situation, heal that, that poor child that's wanting this happiness and scared of what's going to happen at the end. Um, because it's so interesting to see how that influences the adult when they're out binge drinking, right? There's mm -hmm. something that, that doesn't want, they don't want it to end because they don't want to feel this, this terrible loneliness or whatever it is that's going to happen that they think because the five-year-old thinks that. So then they can, um, once they understand that and they heal a little bit and, and maybe tell the five-year-old whatever it needed to hear, um, then they can bring that five-year-old with them into the drinking situation and just say, I know you're here. <laughs> um, let's update you a little bit. I'm an adult and <laughs> I've made this decision. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's not going to be, we're going to go home and you're going to cry and things are going to be horrible. Okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So you just want to bring that, that child in and just let it know that everything's going to be okay. Wow, that is absolutely fascinating. I'm so so. I, I have to. I have to ask you, Beige. Does it does it work on everyone? Does hypnosis work on everyone? Because I have this intense skepticism of hypnosis. I'm being completely transparent here. But that's I, I as as much as I'm interested in mindfulness and then practice. You know, a lot of this hypnosis to me um, feels like something that I could just that I would never be successful. Like I could never let my brain get there. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. And you might not. I mean, um, it it really, I think it, 
I don't know that it can work for everyone. I haven't tried it on everyone, but right. but I can say that there are certain clients of mine that I've had for years that I would never do that work with because I feel that they're not, um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that I, I feel like it might just be, might just flood them a little too much mm-hmm. to, to feel those things from the past. Uh, it might not have the healing effect that I want it to have, that I'd like it to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but as far as, can you know can you be hypnotized it's like can you relax is the question you know it's it's really not about me like i said it's not about me doing something it's more about are you comfortable enough with me to let me go on this journey with you it's Mm -hmm. more like that Mm -hmm. okay interesting very interesting to me i'm i love the i mean it's really cool that you are able to help people tap into that, you know, that toddler type experience and the older type memories. And, and I love the fact that you were like, okay, we're going to update you now. You know, (laughs) I love that. I love that concept. So talk with me more about, so you in the, the, you've been, as I mentioned in the, the intro, you've worked with moderation management for years. And I know in the beginning of the pandemic, you kind of saw a need for more assistance. You've worked a lot with people one-on-one, but you kind of developed a new program going into the pan because of the need really that yeah. arose, I think out of the pandemic. Is that accurate? Yeah. I wanted to be able to offer the, all of the tools that I've um, learned that have helped with my clients um, to, in, in a group setting, this is something I've really been passionate about wanting to do since I took the MBSR training. That was right. my idea. Right. Um, and then it just kind of got sidelines got busy with other things but when i realized how well the zoom meeting zoom mm meetings moderation management yeah. meetings were working how well that transferred online i thought this is a great opportunity to try my group program um because this is this is a way for people to um to learn these tools in a a in a group setting b not to have to pay me individually for all those sessions um and and to and the, there's something about the group experience that is so enriching and just to for them to come in and and get to know really get to know people that are struggling with the same issue and to take away some of that shame that yeah. um, we've learned that that's what we should feel about this unfortunately um, and if uh, there's one thing I, I want to do before I die it's taking take away that right. but um, yeah yeah so um, but so so what i've done is i created this program conscious drinking 101 and conscious drinking 202 they're each four session workshops um where people work in a group setting on using these mindfulness practices and um and learning to apply them to uh to drinking i love that mm-hmm. i love that I, you know i don't know about you but this is from what i say with the, the work that i talk about with people and and i don't do any type of um coaching yet in any way. But when I am on the podcast, I talk a lot about this kind of being a meta skill, learning this type of because I think that once people figure out or for me, I know that that overcoming this unbreakable habit for me, the drinking was the, th- the place I needed to start because it was just that was where uh, kind of like I said, I, I did not realize how much anxiety I actually carried around that was created by the drinking habit itself. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was where I needed to start. 
And also because I really felt passionate about being able to, to tell a better story about mm-hmm. dr- drinking, you know, about changing mm-hmm. that habit again, saying kind of like you, it's just like, you know, this shouldn't be, um, there's Such a, a lot focus. of, yeah, it shouldn't be, there's a lot of gray area there, folks. There's a lot mm-hmm. between black and white and a lot of people who would be better served and would be feeling a lot better about their, their lives if they, they had a better answer to changing their drinking habits. But the, um, sorry, I got kind of off track there going in a different direction, <laughs> but That's what okay. I was going to say is that the conscious drinking is once people gather the skills that you're teaching in these two courses, 101 and 202, the, the things that you're teaching, the mindfulness practices that you're teaching, they can be applied to life, you know, absolutely. It's a, it's a meta skill. <laughs> That's what yes. I was really going with that. Yes, absolutely. And so mm-hmm. are you, and, and, and I'm very gratified actually to see that people are, are one of the things that, uh, someone cautioned me about or said to me, which I think was really interesting is that, and I'm so I'm, I love the fact that you do the work that you do and we, we agree and align on these things. Somebody said to me, you know, your message would be stronger. And I quote, my message would be stronger if you were not drinking at all. That's, <laughs> I said, huh, interesting. Well, I guess, I, you know, um, I don't know what to say to that other than that wouldn't be true. So how could it be stronger if it's not true? Um, and again, isn't that interesting that that's the thought process that it's very black or white, like you either are or you aren't. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, the group, but the group dynamic too, I love that. I, I hope that their learning, I think is, is enhanced when we are all in a group setting. Definitely. Because you hear people having insights and then that evokes your own insights. Um, <clears throat> another thing that we really learn about is is in the i love i mean the reason i went with conscious instead of mindfulness and mindful drinking which it is mindful drinking but first of all that word is just way overused but anyway so it's like really bringing subconscious and unconscious parts of ourselves to consciousness so Mm -hmm. what we work with uh, there are four parts in particular that we work with the inner critic the inner negotiator the inner rebel the inner perfectionist so it's really um spending some time getting to know and like bringing them up into the conscious mind. So like when your inner negotiator is here, you know, it's here. Oh, hello. Hi. And it comes in so many different forms for so many different people. And I don't know if we have time to go through any of these, but these are kind of, they're a bunch that, that, that are um, kind of uh, that show up for a lot of people like the rebel, the rebel. You can't, you can't tell me what to do. Screw it. I suppose right. if this is too long, you can always cut it. So I'll just, uh, uh. Um, the bully or the critic, you're going to screw up anyway. So just go ahead and drink. The enabler, you've already got, gone over the limits. You might as well toss moderation out the window. Right. The empathetic friend comes up. I'm sorry, you're feeling sad. They shouldn't have treated you that way. This will make you feel so much better. Or gosh, you've been working so hard. You deserve this. Or the whiny kid that you mentioned. I want this. Everyone else is doing this. Why can't I? Or the reasonable mentor. Well, you've only had 6.75 drinks this week, so I don't see any reason not to continue to drink this evening. And the list goes on, right? So, but it's for people to kind of get, and I do some exercises around this, for people to see, like, what does theirs look like? What do they dress like? How do they talk? How do they sound? So you recognize them when they show up. And then I have them in pairs, kind of 
play around with this a little bit, like play around with each other's inner negotiator so that they actually have a face to it too. And they'll remember that, oh yeah, that Susie, oh yeah, that's funny. You know, this person's showing up now, this inner negotiator. I love that. And it's so true. I love my, my favorite task to be the inner, whatever the last one was, the analyst to the inner, the mentor. mentor. Yeah. I've only had (laughs) 6.75 drinks. You can have another one. That was awesome. Oh, wow. Well, um, Bij, you and I could probably talk all day long about all of this because this, (laughs) this is just, um, right in both of our wheelhouses and, um, you know, this is, it's, it's an important conversation for so many reasons because you're absolutely right. It is, should be our mission to just get rid of shame you know, I know that Dr. Joffe has, uh, you know, has pretty clear sentiments on his, on what he, I think his, you know, he says F shame for the whole yeah. world. That's like, <laughs> you know, his bracelet say it. And, um, you know, which is for me, I would have never associated with, um, I also want to talk to the people that, that aren't necessarily, I guess shame is is one way of looking at it more than anything. It's, it's like, they don't even know if they really have a, a, have a, they don't want to identify as having a problem even because it's like, you know what I'm saying? That's like, Mm -hmm. and I guess that's maybe because people have a fear of being shame based by, by society and what we, what it means to have, to not be happy with your drinking habits. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I want people to know that the resources exist. They, they exist. Moderation management exists and um, Beige Christy Carpin exists. And you can go <laughs> check her out. She's a, your sponsor over there at MM. You can find out more about uh, your, your, both your one-on-one coaching and then the group coaching efforts as well. Is there any place else that you want people to connect with you? Um, you could take a look at my website if you'd like it's insight out i-n-s-i-g-h-t-o-u-t-n-y-c.com yeah just in case <laughs> rolls anyone... right off the tongue yeah <laughs> insightoutnyc.com and i will link that in my show notes everyone Bij, thank you so much for being here i know like i said people you're that just the rain and the whole putting your hand on your chest for 60 seconds all of these things just those little tidbits out of this conversation mm-hmm. are going to be super helpful for people. Great. And thank you, Molly, for the work you do. I it's you. so important. So important. Really? Well, I yeah. appreciate it. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll come back again and we'll have another conversation. I'd love to. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Bij. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Bottle Legacy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Take something that you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. You have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.